what this case does show is that the government is probably a few steps behind where technology is. And this is actually quite common in tax law. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to run and grow your firm. Welcome to episode 381 of Text Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to DocuSign for sponsoring this episode. You might have heard of the court case that confirmed that Bitcoin and hence any cryptocurrency, that Bitcoin is not a currency. That court case was Cerebu Propriety Limited versus Commissioner of Taxation in 2020. Here's Adam Amet, the solicitor for the applicant, about how this court case came about, what happened and how it ended. I had a look at the uh, judgment you sent me, mm. and it was the strangest judgment I've ever read. It starts with a history lesson about the rum rebellion. It does. I, I scrolled up and I had a look, you know, whether I'm looking at the right document. And is that normal? Is that Have you seen that before? I think it's just the dry humor of the um, deputy president at the tribunal, really. Uh, they're always a little bit... Um, quirky. Eccentric. Yeah, quirky. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So would you like to start with the Rum Rebellion and, you know, the history of the Rum Rebellion to highlight the uh, role of government-controlled currency? Or would you like to start a different way? We could start with that. I mean, that's how he started he brought that up because actually, you know, when we argued this case, the case was about whether Bitcoin is a currency, you know, it's about whether it's a foreign currency, but the way the definition worked, um, ultimately you had to work out if it was a currency in general. We went through the um, constitutional cases and, you know, when they formed the Australian constitution at that time, they wanted the government to have the power to regulate all currency. And at that time, people were using all sorts of stuff, you know, like rum and banks would issue their own notes and gold and all these different things as a currency. And so the court cases were saying, yep, all of that stuff is is included in currency. And so what I was trying to say to the tribunal was historically currency has been very broad. It's only a relatively recent thing that people have just been using dollars. But, you know, if you went back 150 years People were using all sorts of things and that was normal. But now Bitcoin's come along and isn't it just the same as that? Like stuff that people use to buy things. And uh, I have to admit, when I was reading the start about the rum rebellion, I thought maybe we'd won the case. Turned out we didn't. <laughs> I thought maybe he took that point on board, but that's how he starts. Do you mind if I take a step back? Is this the only court case about whether Bitcoin is a currency or whether cryptocurrency is a currency in general? Because I did hear about a court case where it was established that Bitcoin is not a currency. Is this the only court case or would it, would it have been this court case I heard about or were there plenty? This is the court case you've heard about. This is very well known then. Most people would have heard about this. At least, you know, most tax agents. I think and so. you were the solicitor for the uh, defendant, correct? Yeah, well, for the uh, taxpayer, yes. And because it's not a criminal case, we don't say prosecutor and defendant, correct? It's applicant and respondent. So applicant is the um, taxpayer and respondent is the tax office. 
because the applicant is applying to the tribunal for a review. What had happened with your client? Your client had been trading in Bitcoin and then I assume had made substantial losses or gains, probably losses, and hence was very interested in claiming those losses, not as capital losses, but as normal losses, correct? Can you fill me in how it all started? That's right. Yeah, they entered into a transaction where they transacted in Bitcoin, made a loss. And um, if, like you correctly said, if it's on capital account, then it's a capital loss. But if it's on revenue account, then, you know, it's a revenue loss, which can be used to offset against other income. And um, so they wanted it to be as a revenue loss. One of the ways of doing that is if it's a foreign currency, because if it's a foreign currency, the Forex rules apply. And generally anything that the Forex rules apply to goes onto revenue account. So then they would be able to claim a deduction for it against their other income as a foreign exchange loss. Question, when you say they had a Bitcoin transaction, what exactly did they do? Did they trade in Bitcoin or did they pay something with Bitcoin? So they bought Bitcoin to pay with it and in the meantime, Bitcoin lost its value. What exactly did they do? They had some Bitcoin already and then they transferred some Bitcoin to someone else, which triggered the, the rules for determining you know, if there's a gain or loss. So when they did that transfer. Okay, so they used Bitcoin as a currency. They used Bitcoin to pay for it, but between them buying the Bitcoin and then using it for payment, Bitcoin lost value. That's right. Did all this happen in the individual name as a sole trader or as an investor? Or did it happen within a company or trust? Within a company. Okay. It happened within a company. Good. And then this company, of course, also had other income, I assume. And That's so they, right. They wanted to offset the FX, what they see as an FX loss. They wanted to offset this Bitcoin loss against their other business income within the company. That's right. And what amount are we talking? Were it was we very talking? Small. I see. So we were just talking a few hundred dollars. Oh, it's like, I think it was like $1,500 or something like that. Yeah. So how can it be worse for the taxpayer? So $1,500 at a 25% tax rate, we're talking, I don't know, mess is not good, three or $400. How can it be worse engaging a solicitor to dispute three or $400 in tax debt? Well, it's actually not really worth it, obviously, but the tax office, they have this program for funding certain types of cases. And so this case fell under that funding. Yeah, what's the name? I've heard that before. What's the name for that? There's a small business litigation funding. Small business litigation funding. It's actually a big topic and something we should know about. But it rears off topic because Adam and I now will speak for about 10 or 15 minutes about the small business litigation fund. So let's take that discussion out of you because today is about why Bitcoin is not a currency. So let's focus on Bitcoin. And then next week, let's talk about the small business litigation funding. And also, let's put a short fireside chat there I had with Adam about SGC and late payment of super. So now back to why Bitcoin is not a currency. So in front of the AAT was the ATO with the barrister, which they pay fully. And then there was the um, applicant with you mm. not being paid fully. And then it was all about this loss of $1,500 roughly, correct? That's right. What happened then? The process in the tribunal is you start off, sorry, by preparing a fixed statement of facts, issues and contentions. So both sides do that and say, this is what we think the result should be based on the facts. 
After that, we had, uh, I think in this case, we had some submissions. So both sides did some submissions. We put forward our point of view on what we thought the answer was and all of the legislation, et cetera, and cases that back that up. And the tax office did a paper as well where they set out their point of view, which was essentially the same as the public ruling that they had at the time. And then we had an opportunity to write a reply. And I think the tax office also wrote another reply. Um, and after that, we went to the hearing. So at the hearing, the deputy president has sort of had the benefit of seeing the material that everyone's put forward already, including what their positions are. And from memory, we just went through our submissions. And then the deputy president just asked questions to both sides. Uh, we were basically on our side arguing that um, Bitcoin was a currency. And we did it in the following sequence. We said first, we went through the constitutional cases and we said, first we said at the time, foreign currency means a currency other than Australian currency. Both us and the tax office agreed that Bitcoin is not an Australian currency. So the question was, is um, Bitcoin a currency? And we said it should be. And we looked up the case law. Now, there wasn't any cases in tax cases, I mean, about whether something is a currency on its own or not. And so we looked at other interpretations and we went with the definition of currency in case law generally and more specifically as it's used in the constitution. And this constitutional basically said that currency doesn't have to be money of a particular nation. All sorts of different things can be currency, for example, rum and so on. And, you know, a country can have more than one currency. And in those cases, they were talking about the different types of currency that was around. So we started with that to say, look, currency doesn't have to be just government money. It can be other things as well, which means, therefore, it can be Bitcoin. And then we went through the Forex legislation as well, and we provided this explanation to the tribunal that actually the Forex legislation exists to tax transactions which are in foreign currencies because before the Forex legislation, there were some transactions that didn't get taxed, even though they were in foreign currencies. And so the underlying purpose of the Forex rules is to basically tax and capture, you know, the use of currencies, basically, whatever they might be. So we said that, well, if you don't agree, then that is a bit of a problem because that means that if anyone does these financial arrangements using Bitcoin, they won't have to pay tax on them. And then you're basically opening up a loophole. You basically then have to form the view that people don't use Bitcoin functionally as a currency. Otherwise, you're creating that loophole again. So we went and explained that. And after that, we went through how Bitcoin works, which I thought was pretty important too. And the summary of it basically is this, that Bitcoin's like a script. You know, imagine if I wrote a message to you in code, you can't really understand it. But I give you like a key which tells you how to translate the message. And it might say, whenever you see the letter A, replace it with a C. And whenever you see the letter B, replace it with a D and so on and so forth. You can then translate it. And Bitcoin is built using the same kind of concept. And it sends a script and people have a private key and there's a public key. And you can sort of use it to verify that this is the message that was sent from the original source. And the message essentially is... It's asking you, who do I pay next? So I describe Bitcoin as a transaction waiting to happen because at any time the script is saying, who do I send this to? 
where do I go next? And so it doesn't, it's not a piece of property or anything. It doesn't do anything. It's basically a payment waiting to happen. And it's always a payment waiting to happen where the computer's kind of like asking you to input who to send it to. And then the next person sees the same thing. So I, I tried to explain that to the tribunal. He actually, um, the deputy president made a comment that he'd been at a barbecue and didn't know much about Bitcoin and asked his um, nephew or something to explain it to him as well. So he got a little bit of background from that. <laughs> so you're saying the judge based his ruling on what his nephew taught him at a barbecue? <laughs> I, I think he was influenced by it for sure. You know, I think he probably gave his nephew a lot of credibility. Look, he's, he's sort of a older guy. It just sounds bizarre that the judge would ask somebody at a barbecue for, for advice that then is mentioned in this whole court proceeding. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> maybe his nephew didn't realize the um, significance of the advice that he was giving at the time. Yes. You know, maybe if his nephew had said something else, we would have won the case. Who knows? You mentioned the Constitution and how the Constitution doesn't actually say that there is just one currency, there can be several currencies, and it doesn't say what a currency is. Do you mean the Australian Constitution? Do we actually have a Constitution as part of the Commonwealth? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So the Australian Constitution actually, because, you know, before Australia was just all the states and all the states were doing their own thing. Okay. But then to form Australia and all the states coming together. There was a constitution. There was a constitution. And the constitution had to list the powers of the federal government because everything else is a state's power, basically. Yes. And of course, to change the constitution, you need a referendum, as for example, for The Voice. You need a referendum to change the constitution. Hence, we have a constitution. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you need like a referendum. Does the um, whole question basically whether Bitcoin is a currency or not or whether crypto is a currency or not, does that in the end come down to like a religious question? In the end, does it just come down to basically um, believe or not believe? Not sure if it's at that level. I mean, I do understand what you're saying. And I think the... It's probably more of a, it depends on how people perceive it, you know. So people who think Bitcoin is not used very much are probably not going to think it's a currency. I mean, the definition of currency probably in most people's minds is something issued by a government already. So you think it's mainly because Bitcoin and currency is not widely used yet as a currency, hence the AAT ruled it to not be a currency, but this would change as soon as crypto is more widely used as a currency. Do you think it comes down to that? I think that was a factor, but actually the um, the reason the tribunal ended up giving was they said that the federal parliament passed a currency act, and in the currency act they refer to currency as being issued by a foreign government, you know, and we should just use that statute okay. to understand this is, is essentially what they said. And I think that that's partly informed by people thinking currency is usually issued by government these days. I mean, in the past it wasn't, but, you know, we've had a very long run of currency just being something issued by a government. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, DocuSign. When it comes to tax talks, I'm no podcaster, but I am an accountant. And every day I advise on claims and deductions. Trouble is, I hadn't been looking after my own business. Well, with the government's tech rebate ending soon, I signed up to DocuSign and I've gone 100% digital. It streamlined everything from onboarding to invoices. Now I kind of wish I'd taken my own advice sooner. Sign up for your free trial at docusign.com.au. Next time, DocuSign. So the AAT referred to the Currency Act and hence... Unless that act changes, 
crypto won't be a currency. Yeah, well, crypto will probably never be a currency now because this case talked about um, it being issued by or recognized by a foreign government. And then after that, El Salvador recognized Bitcoin as a currency. And so by that token, Bitcoin would be a foreign currency. So the government actually did propose, and I think there's legislation which is going to be passed if it's not already, that crypto specifically is not a foreign currency. So that's been locked into statute. Well, that will be locked into statute, depending on the time you listen to this um, recording. Okay, which statute? They were updating the Income Tax Assessment Act definition of um, of foreign currency. I see. So these definitions, I think they're in section 995. They are updating that section. And so under currency from now on, there will be something that specifically says that crypto is not a currency, correct? That's right. Yeah. It'll say that it needs to be issued by or under the authority of... A government. A foreign government, basically. Yeah, or an Australian government. Yeah, that's right. So they've actually inserted just the word country in there, or they're planning to. So that means it's kind of locked in now, that it is not a currency. That's right. I got the silver medal on the case, and I wasn't happy about that. I didn't want to come second. But I do feel better about the fact that the government changed the law as a result of this case, that I won enough of the case to make sure that I, you know, we did have a loss. They changed the law. <laughs> so that's nice, I suppose. It was close enough that they felt they had to, yeah, lock the door with an additional lock or something. Yeah, so the effort was, you know, did, did a bit better than I thought. But I think the um, the actual takeaway from this case and what I was so surprised about is that With these cryptocurrencies, the fact that their forex rules don't apply to them means that there are so many transactions available that wouldn't be taxed out. I think that the government's probably made an underlying assumption that people don't use it as a currency, so it doesn't matter. But if it is being used as currency, which I believe it is by at least some people, then the people who are using it as a currency won't have to pay tax in all the same situations as they would if it were um, foreign currency in the in terms of US dollars or something like that. Can you give me an example where you would have had a gain if it was a currency, but where you don't have a capital gain as a capital asset? Um, so there was a case called ERA, which actually is what triggered the um, the Forex rules in the first place, where someone had, someone had borrowed in US dollars, essentially borrowed in US dollars, and then they transacted in US dollars only, and then they paid the loan back in US dollars. And usually with Forex, there's quite a few taxing points in there, but the court found that the taxing points were very, very few because they had to fall within the capital gains tax rules and there wasn't an automatic translation into Australian dollars at all of the different times. So what they described it as in the when they did the explanatory memorandum was there is a potential for foreign currency gains or losses arising on capital account to escape tax recognition. This may occur where there is no conversion of foreign currency denominated amounts into Australian dollars. And um, so that means everything stays in that foreign currency, essentially. And um, as a result, they introduced the Forex rules. But if you did those same transactions now, then there would be presumably no tax on them because... That's what that case said. And the rules are back to how they were at that time. Hmm. So in this uh, EIA case that triggered the FX rules, 
They borrowed in US dollars, they transacted in US dollars, and then they paid back in US dollars. So they didn't have any FX gain or loss, correct? That's right. Before the FX routes. But with the FX routes now, they would have had a gain or loss because it always gets translated back into Australian dollars, correct? Yep, that's right. Okay. and But if we now do the same thing in Bitcoin... We borrow in Bitcoin, we do the uh, transaction in Bitcoin, and then we pay it back in Bitcoin because the FX routes don't apply. And because we stay within Bitcoin the whole time, we don't have a capital gain or loss, even though the value of the Bitcoin changed. That's right. That's what it seems to be saying. That's what happened in that case. And that was fixed by the Forex rules. And it wasn't just that. like Because I remember early in my career as well, because Forex was introduced around 2003, which is like now getting to the start of when I started working in tax. You know, people used to do a lot of different things at that time, and I can still very vaguely remember it, you know, um, which, you know, you can't do now because of the Forex rules, because the Forex rules are so exhaustive. It's really changed things a lot, actually. I'm still wondering about the example you used. If I borrow Bitcoin, hmm. that transaction already, I borrow Bitcoin, doesn't that... Yeah, you're right. Because it's a capital asset, nothing happens until I sell that asset again. Yeah. Correct. So basically, we don't have a taxing. Because with capital assets, you basically only have a taxing point when you sell the thing. And when you borrow Bitcoin and then you just give it back, basically, then you don't have a taxing point because you never... Whereas you do for Forex. So to use an example, let's say I borrow 100 US dollars and today... 100 US dollars is like what 100 140 US Australian dollars or something. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they're looking yeah, you have an the, FX gain, yeah. the forex rules said I borrow basically borrow 140 Australian dollars, even though I borrowed 100 US. When I pay back the 100 US dollars, let's say the exchange rate strengthens and it's only 130 Australian dollars instead, right? I've actually borrowed 140 and only had to pay back 130 when you translate it, which means I've made $10. So there's a foreign currency gain of $10 in that transaction, even though yeah. I borrowed 100 US dollars and paid back exactly 100 US dollars. Whereas if you borrow 100 Bitcoin and then you pay it back, and at that stage it's worth less or more, it doesn't matter because you're basically just giving the same asset back. Yeah, that's essentially the result of that, yes. You don't have a capital gain, but you also don't have a capital loss. That's right. Good. So depending on how it goes, it's good or bad for the taxpayer or the ATO. I mean, yeah, obviously if someone makes a loss, they'd think, oh, it'd be nice to claim it. And if someone makes a gain, they'd be thinking it's nice to not have to pay. But I think the, the other part of it is that it creates a whole raft of transactions that are not subject to taxation, which makes it administratively easier to use. If you have to record every single transaction and the exchange rate and everything at that time, it's a lot of work as well. So there's an administrative component here as well that comes into play. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of that, crypto being a capital asset, that they're actually transactions that fall through the net, especially when you borrow when you borrow Bitcoin to transact. Well, and then that actually extends across then to heaps of financial transactions, including derivatives and things like that as well. You know, because borrowing or lending is a very basic form of financial transaction, but there are heaps of different types of financial transactions. And then 
it creates implications for all of those. And then I think the underlying thought must be that people don't really use these digital currencies as they define them. And so it doesn't matter. And that's probably what they're thinking. Yes, because at the moment you don't really have derivatives that are linked to Bitcoin, etc. correct? Yeah, well, there probably are people who do some basic transactions like that, but it's not widespread. That's by no means widespread. That's why it works that crypto is not a currency. Yeah, but if you had a lot of people doing it for some reason, you know, you'd be able to transact in a way that's has less tax than another way and still achieve the same result, which I think is, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I think the, the one thing I would say is this. I think that what this case does show is that the government is probably a few steps behind where technology is. And this is actually quite common in tax law. When the government introduced the taxation of financial arrangements legislation, it was just in time for the global financial crisis. So, you know, they weren't going to make a lot of tax money from taxing those derivatives and everything at that time. And then when the government finally got around to doing a mining tax, I think when they introduced that, the mining boom had already ended. I think the government's gone in the wrong direction with the future of cryptocurrencies. Um, and what that will mean is that there'll probably be a lot of people making a lot of money. And then eventually the government will say, hang on a second, you know, maybe my nephew at the barbecue wasn't right about how many people use Bitcoin and they'll start to tax it. That's what I think will happen. Welcome back. So Bitcoin is not a currency, although we as humans have used thousands of different things as currency over our history as homo sapiens. Bitcoin is not one of them. Now, before we part, let's read some parts of the beginning of the AAT ruling, since it is really interesting. Michael Grammatopoulos Murphy, the editor of this episode, will read these for you. I have taken some parts out to make it quicker and less tedious, but it is quite interesting when you look at the Rum Rebellion in Australia. The Rum Rebellion started in 1808. It was a defining event in the colonial history of Australia, and the rebellion ended in 1810 when Lachlan Macquarie, a new governor, landed in Sydney with his own regiment, which arrested the remaining leaders of the rebellion. But after that, the new administration still had to deal with the conditions which made the coup possible. Those conditions were pitiable. Most of the population survived on rations provided through government stores. There was little enough to buy, and importantly, nothing to buy it with. The pound sterling was the official currency, but coins introduced into the colony by recent arrivals and visiting ships quickly dissipated. The naval administration had not issued a local currency. There was no money supply or system of banking. Commerce proceeded using a barter system in which things of value were traded. Tradable things of value included written IOUs. It was common for individuals with an entitlement to goods from government stores to sign a document transferring or negotiating that right to another. There was an obvious problem with the system of IOUs in a penal colony. Many of the convicts had been convicted of forgery. A good deal of the paper in circulation was fake. Rum was a particularly valuable commodity in this context. Rum was readily traded in return for goods and services. There was a demand for rum in its own right, but it also served as a form of currency. Officers 
in the New South Wales Corps had taken control of the rum trade. In their hands, the monopoly over the trade became a license to print money. Macquarie's reforms broke the officer's control over the rum trade. He assigned licenses to import and deal in rum to selected merchants in return for their promise to build public works. In 1813, the governor took steps to establish a money supply. He arranged for the import of Spanish coins and put a convicted forger to work, converting the coins into an official local currency, which included the so-called Holy Dollar. Macquarie furthered his fiscal and monetary reforms by issuing a charter to establish the Bank of New South Wales in 1817. The experience of the Rum Rebellion and its aftermath demonstrates the importance of a stable money supply under the supervision of the government. That lesson has been repeated in countries around the world where currency collapse has been a feature and often a precipitating cause of political upheaval and social unrest. Control of a monetary policy, including a measure of control over the currency and the money supply, is an important tool for governments to use in their management of the economy. These days, control over the currency in Australia is exercised by the Commonwealth under the Currency Act 1965 and Part 5 of the Reserve Bank Act 1959. The Currency Act establishes the Australian dollar as this country's official currency. Welcome back. Looking at history through these lenses, the ruling makes sense. With this, I think there was never any other option than to rule that Bitcoin is not a currency. In the next episode, episode 382, let's talk about the Small Business Litigation Fund and also have a fireside chat after that about Super and SGC with Adam Amet, following on from episode 375, where we spoke about late payment of Super. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to DocuSign for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.